Good morning, Wisconsin. So let's pour that coffee and talk to some experts about what's going on in Milwaukee, Madison, Washington, and beyond. Broadcasting live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue in beautiful downtown Milwaukee. It's the Political Power Hour on WTMJ. Here's your host, Steve Scafidi. Should we talk about the government? Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday. Political Power Hour. Joe Zapecki, Democratic Strategist. Bill McCaution on the right side. Hatless Joe Zapecki. Yeah. OG Political Power Hour. Is it because it's Monday through Thursday Political Power Hour? <laughs> right? So. Oh, is there already right? a little bit of bad? <laughs> yeah. uh, hey, oh. I think we created that name, right? I, <laughs> a lot of people are saying. Are you looking for some branding dollars? Is that what you're talking about? Uh, All right, gentlemen. The governor was on the program yesterday. We talked a couple, about a couple of things. One was redistricting. One was tax. We'll start with redistricting. Uh, I asked the governor, and we'll play the clip in a little bit. Um, is this it? Are we just, this is the maps we're going to have? Anybody want to jump in on that? Is this the map? Well, we're I, have? listen, I'll own that last week I was very skeptical, and my fear was that. I think you were wrong, yes. I, <laughs> you can say wrong. I, I, I wasn't suggesting. For wrong? <laughs> I wasn't suggesting that he wouldn't sign them. I was suggesting that perhaps he shouldn't, because I'm not sure you can trust conservatives when it comes to the maps. And while the maps appear to be locked in, Bill knows we have a little bit of time to go before these maps are finalized in terms of district lines are set, nomination papers you know can start circulating. And so I am cautiously optimistic that nobody raced to the courthouse immediately, but I still do think it's possible that somebody tries to you know restart the legal clock on these. And if we get to, I think it's March 15th. Yeah, March 15th. You know, if we get there, then I will happily say I was wrong and I should always trust conservatives. (laughs) Um, Well, you should. But we're not there yet. And clearly the overall map fight is not over because the governor is asking the state court to look at the federal, the congressional district lines. So the saga continues. And at the moment, Wisconsin has fairer maps. For the first time in, what, since the 70s? 1970. Governor and legislature appear to have worked it out. And to my Democratic friends, I'm going to say what I've said all along. Bill knows I've said this all along. Democrats got to go win races. There's no, this is not a map where Democrats are guaranteed anything. And it's not a map where Republicans are guaranteed anything any longer. That makes for more competitive elections and hopefully better outcomes in terms of public policy in the state legislature. So most voters don't care about process. And so how we got here probably doesn't matter all that much. I think these are the maps that we're going to live with. My fear going forward, I listened to Rick, Rick Essenberg on a different channel a couple of days ago about this, is the Republicans may have taken away their opportunity to undo this if they win the Supreme Court race next April the, uh, in 2025, uh, which is unfortunate. But I'm actually for more competitive maps. I think it leads to a better legislature. I think it leads to a healthier dialogue. Uh, I think the thing that folks ought to be cautious about is what the outcome may be from these maps. Joe's right. At the end of the day, it really comes down to the candidates. And there are candidates who are now in, quote, unquote, Democratic seats, Republican candidates. And there are probably a few Democrats who are in, quote, unquote, Republican-leaning seats who can win those seats. Candidates matter. That's where you start and end a campaign. Yes, you need organization. Yes, you need money. Yes, you need message, like I've said before. But starts with candidates. Guys like Todd Novak, for example, just uh, southwest of Dane County uh, in the 51st Assembly District, that's now a 58 or 59% Democratic seat. He's going to win it 
He's the Republican. So he's the mayor of Dodgeville. So be careful to go with broad predictions that this is it should shrink the majorities for both uh, houses. I predict as of today. Anyway, we're going to see in two months who files for these races. The Republicans should come back in the majority in both houses. You, t- you were talking about speculating there. So let, let's speculate because this is the interesting part of it for me and maybe hopefully for the listeners. Given that we have these new new maps, how do you? See the fallout once the elections happen. What will this what will this new legislature look like? It, it won't be deep majorities or minorities for either. You know, if you in very recent history, Democrats were running their state legislative races and their committees to save the veto to prevent yeah, Republicans true. from getting a, a veto override majority in both houses. In both houses. Yeah. And now it's there's a shot certainly at the assembly, and I think Democrats will and should play to win in the assembly the way that these maps are laid out and the split election cycle in the state senate there is not really a path to a majority for democrats until 2026 elections and and that's okay even getting one chamber and sort of mixed government at the legislative level would be helpful now i do i have to temper everything i'm saying we both hope we've both now said it that more competitive maps should hopefully lead to a more reasonable, more competitive legislature, I was hoping some behaviors would start to change immediately. Unfortunately, they haven't because the Republican legislature fired more qualified Tony Evers nominees this week. I think it's up to four for DNR alone. And I thought that was the kind of thing that Republicans would understand. The fact that they are not going to have a forever majority in the legislature would bring them to the table, would make them work with the governor is that in ways that we've flex? always wanted. Is that what that is, one final flex? Maybe. Well, I don't think it'll be their final flex, because I think the Senate is the more likely house to stay Republican, because the odd-numbered districts are the ones that are more gettable for Democrats, and those aren't up until 2026. Got to so. take a break here. Political power. Didn't mean to cut you off there, Bill, but we still got 45 minutes. Bill McCosh and Joseph Pecky, Political Power Hour on WTMJ. Republicans have said they won't challenge these maps. Do you believe them? <laughs> well, I, yeah, I guess I will. I will believe them. I mean, somebody else may do it, but they may, they're likely not to because they, they're party to it. Uh, the legislature sent it to me, and I signed it, and away we go. Ah, uh, the governor joining the big program yesterday. I had to ask him, right? Cause he said they, the Republicans won't challenge, but somebody else, Bill, will, Bill, will somebody else challenge? Uh, again, I heard Rick Essenberg this week. It doesn't sound like they will, and they would have been the most likely. So I, I think these are going to be the maps. And uh, much to the chagrin of lots of Democrats, not just my friend Joe Zepecki, uh, were working the governor hard over the weekend. He said, I heard in a different interview, that he had listened to a lot of different people, but his mind was essentially made up all along, that if these got to his desk, he had committed to signing them, and that's what he was going to do. And that's, frankly, what I predicted last Friday, just so we're clear about that. <laughs> I, I love that. Well, when you're wrong, you're wrong. But you admitted you were wrong at the beginning of the show. I admitted that I will admit if I'm wrong. If I'm wrong <laughs> oh, a month or two from okay. now. It's a timed response. That's right. Because you're waiting to what, March 15th? Is that the date? Uh, when, when declarations of candidacy are due, mm. when nomination papers begin circulating. Listen, Senator Lemahue, Mr. Essenberg... I heard these folks. Bill and I work in communications and politics. 
We know how careful folks are capable of being when it comes to the words they use. Correct. You know what none of them said? Well, not all none politicians. None of them said, <laughs> no, we will not challenge these maps in court. They all left themselves wiggle room. I'm not suggesting they should challenge them. I'm not suggesting I want them to challenge them. I'm just saying it's still in play. There's one more piece to come. I mean, the Supreme Court needs to effectively bless this and Stamp, dismiss the yeah. case. Uh, that hasn't happened yet. Well, I mean, and, why wouldn't they? Uh, the process they should. Works. Well, right. th- as I pointed out last Friday, this is their process. They said if the legislature passes yeah. maps that the governor signed, this is done. So it is done. They just need to s- dismiss the case. And then there'll be the question about whether or not they take up the congressional maps, which are different. And here's how. The governor actually drafted the congressional maps. I asked they, him about that yesterday. They were approved by the Wisconsin Supreme Court and by the United States Supreme Court. He will say, and I heard your interview with him, I thought it was very good, that they were drafted under a different formula, the least change formula. So be it. But they were approved by the United States Supreme Court. I don't know that it's a clean shot that they can be overturned uh, in the short period of time we have before nomination papers have to go out. But uh, if any Supreme Court will do it, it's our Wisconsin Supreme Court. They'll find a way. If if that's the path that Democrats have uh, bought and paid for, then that's the path that we're going to get. What might that look like if they... Redrew those maps. Are they? I think the the first Brian Style and the third uh, Derek Van Orden would get a lot more competitive. Hmm. So South, we like Wisconsin, we like competitive elections. Leads to better outcomes. Yeah, candidates matter though, and so yeah. do policy. candidates matter. Yeah. No question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I asked the governor uh, some questions about taxation yesterday. So Republicans did something interesting. Bill, I'll start with you. They they crafted these bills separately, like child care tax credit, the, bra- the brackets. Um, a couple other factors were, uh, one of them was, uh, off the top of my head, I can't think, oh, retirees. Right. So they separated these things. I think that was brilliant strategy. I asked the governor about that. He didn't enthusiastically endorse any of them, but he mentioned the, t- uh, the child care tax credit as one that he probably would sign. What do you think he's going to do with these? I think the child, ter- uh, child care tax credit will be signed. Uh, the governor's been very vocal about the need for... Uh, either supporting the providers themselves or the parents who are paying for these services. And this one, of course, is on the parent side. Uh, I think there's a chance he signs the retire E uh, tax cut. I don't think there's any chance that he sa- signs the middle class tax cut. And that has an impact long term because that's worth $2.1 billion out of a $3.5 billion deficit. So if he vetoes that, that leaves a lot of money for the next legislature, assuming we don't have an economic catastrophe that draws down that balance. But if we do, it provides a cushion. So I don't think uh, he's going to sign the middle class tax cut. I think that is something that Republicans can use against Democrat incumbents uh, writ large this fall. Uh, this will be the third time they've voted against a tax cut for the middle class. Uh, so I, I think it's a great political issue for Republicans. Uh, I wish the governor would sign it. I think the way the Republicans structured it this time is actually what he wanted, uh, but I don't expect him to sign it. Joe, why do Democrats love taxes so much? Just kidding. <laughs> I just want to see your reaction. Let's just look at the numbers. I, listen, you know what? I, I think paying taxes is patriotic, and I understand that things cost money. I know Republicans like to pretend that we can get things like roads and the military and law enforcement and public schools. Does higher education for cost free? money? But, you know, um, I, listen, to the, the tax cut part of it. So the average tax savings would range from about $40 a year at the bottom of the bracket to upwards of $600 a year at the top. I understand that for folks making the you know, 20, dollars $25,000 a year, 600 bucks would be a big deal. 40 is what they'd be getting, 
right? And and the way that the tax system is designed, those at who earn more would save a lot more. And I I've said this before. We gotta make these brackets make more sense. The notion that people making nineteen thousand and one dollars a year and one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, or wherever that what sits at the top end, that is such a different lived experience that the tax code should reflect it. Period. The governor did say that he was kind of open to stretching that middle class definition of, of how much money you can make over a hundred and I think twenty thousand was the number he used. I mean, that does suggest there's room wiggle room here for everybody to make this make sense. I like not that. this session. Not uh, this the session, assembly no. ended last night around two in the morning, and uh, they're done. Uh, the Senate still has one more day to meet. So unless there is either an extraordinary session, which is when the legislature calls themselves in, or a special session that the governor calls them back, where they gavel in and gavel out, where they gavel in and gavel out, he's zero for thirteen on this. Then we are done for this year. And it's February. <laughs> Good work. It is golf season, though. It is golf season. And the weather's been perfect for golf. Bill McCosh and Joseph Pecky, the political power hour on WTMJ. Just barking out commands at these guys during the race. <laughs> aye, aye, sir. We're it's highly organized now aye, here. Yeah. Holy smokes. Yeah, it's a different organization, different Salute. world now. All right. Um, so the, the race is sort of real now for the U.S. Senate. Tammy Baldwin, junior senator from Wisconsin, and Eric Hovde, businessman, banker. Orange County, California is, I think, where he was spending some time. Now he owns back. a two point eight billion dollar bank. Oh, it's a there. bank. Banks are yeah. worth money. Yeah. yeah, big big bank though. Big banks. Yeah. Well, yeah. Success, that means success. Not all successful. Owns. Yeah. So Eric Hovde is in the race, right? He had his his big announcement this week. Um, give me a sense of where you think this race is going to go. I would say bookmark these comments. He will clear the field. Uh, Eric Hovde will not have a serious primary. Not David Clark? Or nope. Scott Mayer, are you listening out there? Nope. Uh, Eric Hovde will clear the field. I think he had a pretty good launch. A uh, couple things I probably would have done slightly differently. You can uh, share those if you but want. But he, he outlined some uh, endorsements right away, like from the Americans for Prosperity. He got some uh, student groups at Madison and Stout, and he traveled the state. So those are all good things. And uh, he he got his abortion position out there clearly this week, which is different than his abortion position of 2012. Let's not be, uh, let's be clear about this. Politicians aren't necessarily flip-flopping if the, if the dynamics have changed. The d- dynamics have dramatically changed since stops. So he does have an updated uh, or evolved, in the words of <laughs> Barack Obama, position on abortion, which I think will help him in the suburbs for sure. So I think Hubby's off to a very good start. I think it's... Um, it's incumbent upon him to introduce himself in the right way. Democrats are coming af- after him with everything they've got, that he's a California businessman. He's born True. and raised in Madison, graduated from UW-Madison, owns multiple businesses in Wisconsin. He also owns a bank in California, and uh, he's done very, very well uh, for himself. We'll be able to self-fund to a point, but unlike Tim Michaels, he's going to accept contributions other than from special interest from the from day one. And How I think that's going to put it? Hard to tell, but I would I would think it's going to be in the multiples of millions. Twenty million dollars was tossed out by somebody. Yeah, That's I haven't heard him use a specific number, but uh, it'll be north of ten. I'm certain of that. Hmm. Uh, listen, Tim Michaels ran into some financial cash crunch issues down the stretch, and it is just a fact that one of the hard needles to thread in our politics for these self funders is those who could self fund the whole thing. And right. it certainly seems like Mr. Hovde has the financial wherewithal to self-fund the whole thing, but to say, oh, I'm just going to do some of it. it. Donors, can you give me some money? Because now you're asking other rich folks to write checks when they, when those rich folks know 
he could write a bigger check. And so I would, for bookmark and comments, I would watch to see how the money goes for Eric Hovde. Tammy Baldwin, a proven prolific fundraiser who does not she have is. the ability to tap into her own wealth. She is. And I'll just say this. I, I expected a little bit more. It, it's no secret. It, it was no secret that Eric Hovde was getting in this race. He had months to get ready for a launch that really left an impact. I expected a little bit more. I thought it was a little lackluster. Yeah. So you asked, Steve. I, I would have had a, a little sharper contrast with Tammy Baldwin. Why are you running? Tammy Baldwin. Right? Um, I, I don't think they did that as strongly as they could have, but there's certainly time. We're talking about February, so we've got eight and a half months to, to draw the contrast. So the talking points are Baldwin's a do-nothing center. That's from the Hubby camp. She's been there 30 years. And the other side says that Hubby doesn't live in Wisconsin. That's basically the talking points right now. And yeah. Hubby is... On record, opposing the Affordable Care Act and all of the consumer protections that were part of that. That's what he ran on in 2012. And the guy has a history on the record of abortion. I see him trying to follow the Ron Johnson playbook. Oh, we'll do a referendum. We'll let the people decide. That's not exactly bold leadership at a time where some of these issues are hitting home a lot for Americans, which I think we'll talk about later in the hour. All right. So after the break, let's let's go national. Talk some national politics. Obviously, the the race in South Carolina Saturday. It sounds like, and and I don't have time to talk about it now. But Nikki Haley making a little bit of a surge. New MU national poll. Yeah, and God, she's killing Joe Biden in this thing. So why the heck wouldn't Republican voters want to do that and actually try to win the general election? Which would be my my point of view. See, I'm getting all worked up about this because I I think Nikki Haley's a shot. All right, we have a lot more to talk about. Thanks for tuning in on this Friday, the Political Power Hour, where it all started, where it all began. The, the originators of that great concept, Joseph Pecky, Democratic strategist, Bill McCutcheon, Republican strategist, two smart, very smart guys, and they got opinions. Trust me. They got opinions. We got opinions. Yes. Hot yeah. takes. Hot takes. Or as the grammarians out there would say, they have opinions. And Not very little whataboutism. Right? No, you've, which I appreciate. You've, you've schooled us against that. Oh, Twitter is like the worst for that stuff. It's like <laughs> even smart people are doing it now. It's like, stop doing that. And I said, maybe I said this on a tweet. You probably saw it. We got to bring back stupid because I'm going to call you out if you're stupid. It, it's uh, Scott Walker did it yesterday and just got hammered when he said, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, if I were him, I might have pumped the brakes. About <laughs> I, I, hey, I voted for him. I think he did a great job. But boy, he his social media savvy. Needs to be worked on. My my take. My take. All right. Um, gentlemen, big primary tomorrow. South Carolina. Tomorrow's Saturday, right? Yeah, Saturday tomorrow. It's been a while since we've talked about this race and the, with an actual race going to happen. It seems like, at least I, I'm probably listening more to Nikki Haley talk than Donald Trump talk, but it seems like she's on the upswing. Is she on the upswing, Bill? Uh, she certainly had a great month of fundraising in January. She's she kicking out- butt. She better than Trump's? outraised Trump by $2.5 million. Let me state the obvious. Trump will win tomorrow, probably by more than 20 points uh, in her home state. Better than 35. Uh, yeah, I don't <laughs> know. Those two late touchdowns to make it a three-score yeah, game. I don't know yeah. that it uh, it no? gets over 30, but no? uh, it'll be more than 20, probably. But I, you know, listen, I'm glad she's staying in. I think it's important for Republicans to have a choice for a longer period of time, not a coronation. I think there, she's raising some very good points that the, pres- the former president has yet to answer. Uh, he's 95% likely to be the nominee, I think, uh, at this point in time. But there are a couple things about tomorrow that I think are interesting from a political standpoint. You might recall that the president, the former president, hammered Ron DeSantis about being disloyal for getting into the race. Now, the height of disloyalty in this race actually is Tim Scott. Tim Scott was appointed 
a United States <laughs> senator by Nikki Haley. Yeah. The smart thing, the right thing for him to do would be to sit out of that, this primary. No. He, he wants gets, to be vice president. He gets in the primary in uh, New Hampshire, gets on stage, gets emasculated by Basically the former president. Trump on the lips, let's yeah, be honest. Yeah, it was, it was ugly. And, and, and then he's down campaigning against the person who appointed him. It, where I grew up in politics, that is so unacceptable on every level. It is the bottom of the barrel in politics. Tim Scott may ultimately be on the ticket. I hope not. Uh, because I don't, I think he didn't show well. I, he he wasn't up to the job when he was running for president, which means he's not up to being vice president, in my opinion. All right, so your guy, he's just sailing along. I mean, he's he's doing more stuff. I, I noticed that because he's trying to com- combat the image that he's he's uh, you know senile and, and too old. So he's he's out there talking to everybody and shaking hands and patting backs. And all. I've been watching a lot of that. So where where are you at? In, in the you're good. You, you guys are good. Democrats? He's leading the free world in a way that. Puts former President Donald Trump to shame, meeting with the widow and family of Alexei Navalny, today announcing a package of more than 500 sanctions against Vladimir Putin and a Russian regime that is literally killing political opponents. And that should be clarifying. I'm reading Liz Cheney's uh, memoir, just started the other day. It's clarifying. For 200 years, this country transferred power peacefully between administrations and was the envy of the world. And Donald Trump was a stain on all of that. And he still cannot bring himself to criticize Vladimir Putin for what happened to Alexei Navalny, who returned home after being poisoned multiple times, attempted assassinations by the Putin regime. And he had the courage to go home and say, Russia is my home and I need to fight for a better tomorrow for my country and for my people. And for it, he paid with his life. And that should be clarifying when we think about What's at stake in this election? Joe Biden is being president and leading the world and fighting to do things like get money on the front lines of Ukraine. And Republicans, Donald Trump, don't seem to want to do that. Basically, you're saying actions, not age. Yes. Uh, Like, it's good that Biden is out there. I thought we all enjoy, you know, we we have our little text thread. It's kind of funny when (laughs) Biden's out there and he's taking it, posing for a selfie with a little old lady. And he's the one who flips the iPhone camera into selfie mode. And they go, how do you know how to do that? And he goes, well, compared to the last guy, (laughs) bars on the floor. That's that's Joe Biden at his best. And they're smart to get him out there and do that because he has always been better in those scenarios than he has been behind a podium. That's just fact. So today, even though we're months ahead of the election. It's Biden, Trump. Yeah, yeah, yeah no question saying? about that. No one's going to, because I'm going to ask you the spare question about, hey, that's the only reason she's staying in, because she's the spare. If they need her, she's there. Break glass in case of emergency, yes. to borrow Joe's line. Yeah, yeah. And here's what I really admire about Nikki Haley, and I, I do want to say this. I, a while ago, I said I wouldn't say anything nice about her because I don't want to hurt her, but I think she is demonstrating to other Republicans who don't have the backbone that she does, you can criticize Donald Trump. You can call him out for what he is. And live to tell about it. How'd that yeah. work for Chris Christie? I, but but look at, you know, from everybody from like Andrew Hitt, who I don't know, he seems like a totally fine, reasonable guy who, who ended up in a really bad situation and made some bad choices. But when Andrew Hitt says, I was afraid, and that's why I made these choices, Nikki Haley is demonstrating, you don't have to be afraid of Donald Trump. Don't be afraid, Republicans. You can say no, you can call him out on his nonsense, and there's a lot of it. So the little-known story this week is actually the Marquette National Poll. The number one thing people, voters, know about Joe Biden is he's an old guy. Wait, a, he is? A majority of yeah. all News to me. demographics 
think that uh, he's too old describes him very well. And if you include somewhat well, you're between 70 and 80 percent. And that includes Democrats. So here's where I think the Trump team is making a gigantic mistake. Calling him Crooked Joe isn't working. Voters don't think that he's crooked. Now, guys like me may have some serious doubts about how his family amassed their wealth, but voters don't view him as crooked. They do view him as super old. If he switched that name to Ancient Joe or something like that, every time he said it, it would pierce through and it would get in people's psyche about, "Mm, you know what, this guy is an old guy. He's Bill McCosh and Joseph Pecky, Political Power Hour after the break. Is Donald Trump running out of money? Next. Political Power Hour on Friday. I, always love, I love, and this is where it all began, so I'm, I'm always excited when Bill and Joe join me in studio. All right, so Donald Trump, he has some dates he has to keep in mind. Uh, he had that massive judgment in that civil case. It's it's 450 plus. If he, um, he, if he doesn't... Um, Match that not that number. It's plus it's plus twenty percent more. He I'm can't sure. appeal. Is that what it is? No, he can't appeal. But he needs to put up that nut to in, be able- in order to appeal. Yes, yes. So, and like he's so crooked. The interest on the judgment is ninety thousand yeah. dollars a day. Right. That's more than most Wisconsinites make in a year. So that's why I asked the question: Is does he have an assets problem? He's not raising a ton of money for for his campaign because he's getting a. a Flanked by uh, Nikki Haley, uh, almost two to one at some points. Is he? Does he have an asset problem? He has to either either put up his his all his properties, which includes some golf courses, hotels, of course, or he's got to get somebody to give him that money. And I don't know if that somebody is going to be that inclined to say, "No, here's, way. here's half a billion dollars." So he what's going to happen here? He could not get a security clearance from the United States government today because of how in hock he is, because he would be at such risk for being blackmailed it, full stop now I, listen eric hufty has got a 2.8 billion dollar bank maybe he'll lend him the money he said he would support the nominee this week and it, it is a problem does he have an asset problem yes full stop yeah I and mean, what does he do about that because if he doesn't appeal then the actual you know he's got to do something he has to, he has no choice his team seems confident that they can come up with the 450 million dollars i i don't know how i don't know Anyone, even billionaires who are that liquid that can come up with a half a billion just sort of on any given day. Uh, so we'll see how that plays out. His but- son-in-law got $2 billion from uh, MBS. Maybe it's something to come from there. I, but, like, it's crazy that we're sitting here having this conversation. Yeah. yeah. It's just well, nuts. It's, it's almost as crazy as what we learned this week in the sham Biden impeachment drama. Which is that are the crux? You know, I was going to get this in. Yeah. The entire Republican <laughs> argument against Joe Biden that he should be impeached and is dirty fell apart this week because the main source was indicted by the FBI for lying and arrested and, and arrested. And in the speaking indictment, it turns out he was meeting regularly with Russian intelligence agents. So this is a source the FBI themselves have been paying for years. I don't care about this guy. I think there's more than enough evidence on that Biden laptop, Hunter Biden's laptop. To prove that Hunter Biden is a schmuck? No, that proves how the family business works. There is clearly two tiers of justice. Basically, it's all down to the laptop now. It's Listen, we've had this opportunity for seven years, and the federal government has decided not to share that information with the American public. 
the FBI didn't want to share the 1023 because the FBI agents knew that it was ridiculous. It didn't I, pass I the think smell this test. Guy, and Chuck Grassley he, and Ron Johnson raised holy hell and said, the public has to see this 1023. And then Comer and his band of merry men said, this is it. We've got him dead to rights. On its and face, now it turns bad, out it's it's it was all look. a lie. It's a bad yeah, look. it's a bad look. Yeah. The Jim Jordans. But, and the but it's also a bad look for CBS to fire Catherine Herridge, who was the only investigative reporter actually working this story. What do you story. make of that story? And then stealing, in my words all of her documents what do you make of that i i think it's government suppression that's what it is I, i'm totally unfamiliar with this I, cbs reporter did some reporting on this story from a i would say a you know right right pretty, perspective yeah, yeah. for a Fred, major network she yeah, did yeah. come from fox but she'd been at cbs yeah. for some time she had done a deep dive on this hunter biden laptop released some pretty good stories there was more to come all of a sudden she gets fired by cbs and they take all of her work product yeah. I, I will learn more. I did not know anything about this. but I, next I, week. Yeah. All right, we'll take an early break here. Grab bag is next. I know Joe's got a really good one, and uh, I'll come up with something in this uh, two minutes. You're listening, of course, to the Political Power Hour on WTMJ. Yeah. Oh, this hour goes too fast, but we'll go out with a bang, as we always do, Bill McCaution. Joe's a packing the Political Power Hour, two really smart guys who have very strong opinions with their educated opinions, which I'm a big fan of. All right, that's enough praise for you, gentlemen. Who wants to go first? Grab bag. Well, I'm going to go with a shorty uh, to give my friend Joe a little more time for a special grab bag. Mine's special in a different way. So my niece, Grace McCoshin, and her Northfield girls hockey team played the Minnesota State Girls High School tournament yesterday, uh, and they lost to Edina 5 to nothing. Uh, Grace had a good game. They had a nice two-on-one. Uh, she she gave her top-scoring forward a great pass, and the young lady missed the net. So be it. Grace will be uh, a full-ride scholarship to Ohio State wow. University next Love year, that. which means I get to see my brother and uh, my sister-in-law at least once a year when they when Grace plays in Madison. So great college or high school career, Grace, and good luck at Ohio State. And I'm going to do a hockey one because you did a hockey one. The Milwaukee Admirals, 18 straight Love wins. It. Love it. The record's 28, gentlemen. Let's do this. They have been on fire. They, they smoked the Wolves for zip the other day. Go Admirals. George, oh. George Webb, get with the program. <laughs> yeah, right? We need some free burgers right? in this town. How set, about, set how about free eggs and bacon? Do something different. That'd be good. There you go. All right, Joe Zapecki. Uh, on Sunday, my dear old dad, Dave Zapecki, is going to turn 70 years old. That's a that's a big one. We're trying to make it a big deal. Um, and I reached out to some of his buddies last night, folks who have known him for more than 60 years, to just ask them, hey, what should people know about Dave Zapecki? And one of them said, your dad is one of my heroes for the way he lives his life. He's somebody who cares about Milwaukee. Uh, another said, you know, he's somebody who is always willing to help whenever he's asked. I talked to some of his nieces. Hey, what kind of uncle is your uncle David? And he's a big smile, great guy. And, you know, it just, he's the youngest of five. And the fact that all three of his brothers are gone and it's just he and his big sister, my auntie Pat that are left, uh, still carrying on family traditions uh, and as he turns 70, I just want to tell him and everybody who knows uh, him or has encountered him that I love him dearly. I couldn't ask for a better father. And if you see him in the weeks ahead, wish him a happy birthday. When we were growing up, it was crazy. You'd go out and like wherever we were, ball game, shopping, dad knew somebody. And that was in part because of all the work he did in the community and for the county. Um, and so he's touched a lot of people's lives in, in positive ways. And uh, I just don't know how else to 
honor what he did for us and what he means to me other than to say thanks for everything, Dad. We love you, and happy birthday. Happy birthday, Dave. Yes, Dave Zapecki, and I met Dave. He's very civic-minded, which I love. He's enthusiastic about life, which I also embrace. He's a positive guy. He raised the great son, Joe Zapecki. I think we'd all agree on that. He sat in and watched us one, That's one yeah, Friday. So happy yeah. 70th birthday, Dave Zapecki. All right, gentlemen, we'll reconvene next week. I'm sure there'll be something to talk about.